This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of the Blockhouse podcast is sponsored by my friend Tiger at ITZTiger.music on Instagram. He does all the audio tracks for the Blockhouse podcast. He's on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Go check him out. The podcast is also sponsored by Day and Night, the ultimate revolution in vaping batteries, the double-bladed lightsaber of vaping. Why enjoy one flavor when you can enjoy two flavors at the same time? Go check them out on Instagram at Day and Night Battery. But wait, the podcast is also sponsored by Bengali, the new hip clothing brand that is about to take Medellin by storm. Quality clothing for men that fits right and that is stylish at the same time. I love it. I got tons of it. And you'll see me wearing it on the podcast. Get yours now. Go to bengali.shop on Instagram. Lastly, be sure to sign up for the Blockchain Insider newsletter. For only $250 a month, you will get weekly updates on the crypto market, my top investment picks, and advanced analysis to help you make better informed investment decisions. You can't put a price on that. So go click on the link in the description and sign up today. Hey guys, what's up? It is Tuesday, July 20th, episode 156. Today I have Dean Tribble, CEO of Agoric. Agoric is a place where developers can go to securely and confidently build decentralized applications for DeFi and for other parts of the blockchain industry without having to worry about the nuances that go into building decentralized applications. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, Dean Tribble himself, and Agoric. Enjoy. All right, Mr. Dean Tribble, welcome to the Blockhash Podcast live. What's up? How you doing? I am really good. Good. Glad you're really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, before we you know get started and everything, and and talk about Agoric, and have a bunch of questions on it, and um, really want to dig into it uh, today and, and learn a bit more myself. Tell me a little bit about you and your backgrounds. Like, I know you got quite an extensive background. You consider yourself a little bit of an OG in the space. Um, but, you know, tell me tell me what you got. Tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, what you did beforehand, before Agoric. Um, what's your story leading up to that? Sure. So I started doing distributed systems work back at Xerox Research Center in Palo Alto. That was in the early 80s um, and worked on the first production smart contract back in 1989. So this is pre-blockchain, five years before Vitalik was born, pre-internet. And that was really, you know, software agents. Well, that was really software orchestrating cooperation between third parties, right? Enforcing the terms of a contract between third parties. And so we did that on servers, We, you know, and, and since then you've seen Airbnb and PayPal and eBay and Uber and Lyft and all of those are 
software systems that are enforcing the terms of contracts between parties. And we were all very excited about this as a way to foster and improve cooperation in the world by enabling systems and software to let let essentially more strangers cooperate more easily and you get a more cooperative world therefore. And so that was sort of the the, the driving vision, uh, was very interested in crypto. So we were some of the early cypherpunks uh, working with, you know, Eric Hughes and Hal Finney and building, you know, uh, mixed relays and all this sort of thing and and early days of, of, of cryptocurrency uh, before blockchain. Um, I went from there to doing, you know, general e-commerce, large-scale distributed systems, disrupt and generally disruptive technologies out into the market. So, so the early days of Java, built brokerage systems, built electronic payment systems, and so forth. I ended up at um, at Microsoft, uh, building a secure operating system using a lot of the technologies and techniques that we had been working on over the years for doing secure, rapidly changing uh, uh, systems that could support smart contracts. A lot of those ideas, you know, the, the operating system didn't end up um, uh, replacing Windows because that's not going to happen at Microsoft. Um, but a lot of the ideas, you know, got into the culture there, got out. Um, a lot of our ideas for asynchronous communication got into promises in JavaScript, it promises in Rust. Um, and, and, and so these ideas got out there. Just before Agoric, I worked on a electronic payment instrument called electronic checks, which turned into a multi-billion dollar payment instrument in the standard regulated uh, uh, U.S. Uh, banking economy. And then came Agoric. And in, in um, let's say 2017, there was all these security breaches and friends of ours, Zuko uh, from Zcash um, and, and others got together a panel that had about taking these security ideas, these techniques for distributed systems that myself and my co-founder Mark Miller had done at a wide variety of places and seeing whether they could solve or address or mitigate the security problems that had been showing up in Ethereum and other crypto systems with the DAO bug and the parity bug and that sort of thing. And so there was a panel with uh, Mark Miller, our chief scientist and, and, and original founder for Agora, um, this is before Agoric happened. Brian Warner, who had just participated in the Ethereum Security Review. Um, uh, Arthur Brightman of Tezos uh, and, uh, and Zuko and uh, Jorge of Gravity. And the fun thing is, coincident of scheduling, that ended up being right in the middle of Tezos's token sale. So sort of from the beginning of the, this to, to the end, there were... Um, uh, you know, $20 million uh, more in Tezos from the beginning to the end. So in any case, that was what kind of got the, the Agoric system started. So that was sort of the last um, uh, the last hurrah before starting this company was realizing that, yes, we really could solve some of these problems. Let's go start a company to do it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot jam-packed into there. Let me <laughs> go back to, no, no, you're good. Let me go back to something. You sure. said something about working on the very first smart contract even before yeah. Vitalik, right? Yes. Yeah. And what was that built on? Tell me about that. So this was called American Information Exchange, AMIX, uh, A-M-I-X, to be clear, um, uh, brainchild of Phil Salen. And the idea was to enable essentially the online buying and selling of arm's length, consul arm's length consulting. So at the time, um, Smalltalk was a growing language like, you know, Rust or JavaScript, any of these things. And he had the idea that you know, people were starting to look at, oh, we could do component software. So I've got a problem. I need a solution. I need a solution tomorrow. I'm willing to pay 2000 bucks to get this done. Can someone do it for me? And I post that offer 
in this site and someone could come along and go, I've got the expertise. You give me a thousand up front, 500 on delivery, 500 on acceptance. I'll do it. You know, there's, there was all sorts of mechanisms to be able to organize the negotiation, do dispute resolution. But finally, at the end of the day, the system, I would tell the system, yes, I agree to those terms. They, you know, my, my uh, seller uh, tells the system, yes, they agree to the terms. Now the system is enforcing that relationship between us so that when, when the person that I'm buying this from, you know, they, they get paid immediately the on, on um, agreement. Then when they submit a solution that they propose, they get automatically paid by the system, the on accept or the on delivery. And then finally, I have two weeks in order to dispute it, in which case we go into another workflow for dispute resolution that's all orchestrated by the software and so forth. So it was really enabling strangers to do consulting and doing so in a way that made it very easy to essentially open source the results. So I need a solution right now. It, it solves my problem. It's fine if other people get the same solution. You know, my problem is solved and I move on. Someone else might be able to use it. And so it, it ended up a very nice structuring of terms. And we had everything from like Esther Dyson um, doing business plan reviews. You know, for, for $1,000, you can get Esther Dyson to review your business plan. Um, you know, we, we, all, all sorts of marketing help or, or other kinds of business, business going on on that system. Them. And this was, you know, late ARPANET, early days of the internet. So this was all done as server-side software where people had dial-up modems. And, you know, there are banks of modems that people mm. would call into. If you remember from your uh, old school movies where you could hear the modem sounds in the background, that's what was going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I can still remember that. Like, I'm, I'm pretty young, but even when I was a kid, we had the, the dial-up modems. I'll tell yep. you what, I hated that so yeah. much. We had AOL. <laughs> We had yeah, AOL yeah, in our yeah. house, and every time uh -huh. one used internet, you had to wait until the whole thing booted up and dialed. Uh -huh. It took like five minutes, sometimes longer. <laughs> sometimes it didn't even connect. Um, uh -huh. That was a pain, man. I, yes. I hated. Now imagine I hated writing server software that runs in that environment, and you know, getting people to do, you know, the equivalent of eBay by participating in that. <laughs> That's got to be frustrating. I would yeah. not want to, you know, be working on that kind of stuff at that point in time. Um, <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, stuff, yeah the, it was. I imagine it wasn't decentralized though right it wasn't no, the first decentralized no, 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 no. smart contract so, so smart contracts, but conceptually then con conceptually the first smart contract yeah yeah yes yes okay yeah the key thing is the smart contract is about software orchestrating the cooperation and enforcing the terms of the contract what blockchain brings is now with um, you know, multiple computers all, you know, checking each other's work and voting on what's the data, what are the choices, what order did things happen, what's the result of computation. Blockchain adds to smart contracts high integrity execution. So smart contracts predate blockchain by quite a bit. And, you know, the, the key thing about that, that, America, that Amex system is it was very deliberately structured as that first thing to really enable third parties to engage in business with each other. Now, that had key properties where, you know, Nick Zabo was, was evolving these ideas completely independently. And when he came onto the scene and he ended up at one, you know, for a brief print, he was a brief point, he was actually uh, working for me. Um, but he come onto the scene. We had lots of discussions in, in the much larger extended community. Uh, but he really characterized, you know, that thing you're doing, here's these really important properties about it. You should do more of that. The world should do more of that. It fosters cooperation. Here's why it's a good thing. And so that really did 
provide the category of stuff that other people should 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 imitate for other uses. And so so that you know that that's just a huge there's a really big value in being able to name something that's valuable and tell you why. And and that that was that was you know there are many things that Nick that Nick brought to the table, but that to me was in some sense the most important. Yeah, you said he was working with you or for you on on what exactly? Briefly. So so there was a okay. In 1988, let me go back one more year, Mark Miller, our chief scientist, wrote mm -hmm. the Agoric Open Systems Papers. So those were, and they're in the crypto canon on in the Andreessen site, and lots of people that, you know, got founding ideas in this space from those papers, and they really articulated software agents creating and participating in markets with a bit of a focus on markets for compute resources, gas markets, space markets, storage markets. And so we had a project called Agorix, again, also inspired by that, uh, uh, Agorix Inc., inspired by that paper at Sun Labs to build software agents and markets with distributed communication, doing high bandwidth network scheduling when that was not a thing, um, you know, doing uh, uh, market-based jukeboxes before iTunes, all those kinds of stuff. So it was a research project to explore what it means to be able to actually have money in a large-scale distributed system with agents that could participate in it. And so Nick Zabo uh, consulted to, to that project to the early days of thinking out, what does it all mean? We can now do smart contracts. What should we try? You know, what are the cool things there? So, so it was great to have you know, it wasn't a long period of time, but it was just fun that that, that he worked on that project for a brief while. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. You no, know, he's a very important person in the space. He's been around since like very, very early days, if not oh, yeah. the very beginning, especially with Bitcoin. Um, let's transition and talk about Agoric a little bit, too. Um, what, what is it? Tell me a little bit about Agoric. Um, sure. You know, what what's the purpose? What's the mission? While you do that, I'm also going to pull up the website because I can and I'm awesome. Um, <laughs> so... Awesome. Yeah, go for it. We love our new website with all this, you know, fun graphics. <laughs> um, so we are deploying a new layer one public chain. Mm -hmm. We'll be using consensus tendermint uh, Cosmos SDK for consensus. But the fundamental thing that we're really bringing is programmability. Right, the ability to, you know, I, I refer to it as React.js for DeFi or Node.js for DeFi, it really provides a whole nother layer of ability to rapidly build and rapidly deploy interesting new smart contracts, right? Our, you know, for our mission all along has been about smart contracts. Blockchain brings the high integrity execution, so you no longer need the trusted third party, but you're not going to take over the world. We collectively are not going to take over the world unless we've got more than a few thousand developers building this stuff, right? At you know, Electric Capital estimates that at best, ten thousand developers can do Solidity development at a at a credible level to be able to deploy new real smart contracts. Whereas there are literally millions of JavaScript developers, and there are and and. Many of them are in fintech. Many of them have done commercial applications. Many of them are entrepreneurial. And we need to, innate, you know, go where the developers are, right? Meet them where they're at in order to enable those programmers to build smart contracts. And that provides an entirely new bridge to a much bigger world of developers, applications, use cases, and, and, and money. And so that's our mission is, is we have a hardened version of JavaScript that allows, uh, you know, executing smart contracts in a confined compartment so they can't escape and do bad things. So it's a, you know, actual secure version of JavaScript that enables us to let people program in JavaScript. So it makes it much more familiar environment, much more familiar development processes, all the normal tools work, that kind of thing. Now, 
that's sort of the first step. And that's what got us started in 2018 is we have a secure approach. We have a hardened approach to be able to build this stuff in a traditional programming language that a lot more people know, right? But that's not enough, right? Browsers had JavaScript for, you know, 15 years. And experts could do some cool things in JavaScript. They could do interactive stuff. They could do some amount of internationalization. They could do some cool things. But now beginners with a few months of experience can do even better, more responsive, mobile first, fancier, internationalized, scalable, whatever that it is, user interfaces than experts could do 10 years ago because of the frameworks and components they get to build on. So this is sort of the biggest promise of Agoric is it's not just that you can program in a familiar language, but you get what we refer, refer to as, as exponential composability. Right, So Node.js took off because I could NPM install that other guy's component and build on it. It's not code copying. It's not take his code and muck it up or you know grab that other person's, glue these together, and now I've broken both of them and I've got to maintain them independently. It's NPM install that component and parameterize it and use it, right? And, you know, it turns out most uh, applications in the world written in JavaScript, you know, by measure by, by GitHub, 97% of the code they're using comes from components that other developers built. That's leverage. That means you're building something that's 30 times larger than the amount of time you spent on this thing. Now, not all of that's efficient, but the ability to not have to build those pieces yourself is just an enormous lever that, 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 that you know, that, that many different platforms use, but especially we see that in, for example, React. So React is this framework for doing user interfaces in JavaScript. And before it, again, experts could do some cool things, but with it, now, you know, I as an artist, for example, I'm not an artist, I assure you, but I as an artist could grab a slideshow component, could grab Stripe, could glue it together a little, little bit of my programming, and now suddenly I can give a very fancy site um, for, for, for people to be able to scroll through my pictures and buy them. And I got to do that without being able to build a slideshow UI or build a, build a credit card integration. And, and I got to do that by taking those components and plugging them together. So you can tell I'm excited about this. That oh, ability yeah. to take components and plug them together is, you know, is real composability. It's what we consider to be real composability. And, you know, React does that for UI components where they have sort of this, this you know, pattern for how to build a render application and how to take multiple components and render them each in their right space on the screen and plug them together so that, you know, the data flows and all that sort of stuff. We do that same kind of thing for Exchange. So we have the JavaScript language, we have the consensus of Tendermint underneath, and then we have our contract framework that makes it easy to take a, you know, a, a, a swap component, um, a auction component, you know, a liquidation component and a, and a governance component, plug them together with my special loan construct, and now I can roll out a new DeFi business where I didn't have to build all of it from scratch. I didn't have to security review it all. I didn't have to get insurance for it all. All of those were, were, were available already for 90% of what I have to build. And that's just, that's just we're really excited about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can tell there's a lot of excitement and passion behind this right now. Definitely. Um, yeah, sorry. I was flicking through a bunch of things trying to see if I could put your face up with the website, but for whatever reason, no. wants to put my face up. Oh, see, you got up. a beautiful web. Beautiful. You're beautiful. Yeah, like, I can spotlight you. I don't know why it doesn't want to put me up there, but. Oh, okay. Well, oh, right. oh, well, it's, you know, very picky platform, I guess. I'll figure it out later. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's really cool stuff. Well, and there's a lot of detail that goes into it. And there's a few things that, um, you know, popped out at me that I'm familiar with, like Tenderman and stuff like that. Um, you know, how, how are you using that? Maybe I glossed over it, but how are you using sure. like Tendermint and Cosmos and stuff like that? So, um, so fundamentally we require a, a consensus, you know, platform. We use Tendermint because it is, you know, the 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 number one battle-tested consensus, uh, proof-of-stake consensus algorithm out there. And the Cosmos community, we really have a, a really strong alignment with, right? When we came in, I mean, we work with all these communities. We, 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 we you know, Ethereum is a huge contributor to the space. We like the Polkadot folk. We work with the Cosmos folk, you know, all those kinds of things. But Cosmos in particular has a very strong model of independent sovereign systems that are loosely coupled. And they can all have slightly different rules. They can have slightly different governance, but they've got a distributed protocol to, 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 to be able to have them cooperate together voluntarily, either economically or gov through governance or what have you. And that's you know, very much our model of the world is is enabling lots of independent actors to independently decide to cooperate with each other in various loosely coupled fashions. And and that vision, you know, that interchain vision, you know, is has been driving us for literally decades. It was only after we were working with them for, I want to say, you know, over a year that we found out that that part of that cosmos vision, the IBC interchain vision, was directly inspired by one of our chief scientists, one of the sites that he maintains on the e-programming language that talks about the loosely coupled distributed vision of how to do um, large-scale distributed cooperation. And, and they were inspired by that and realized, oh, we could do that you know, between chains. We could add blockchain to that mix and make something really, really novel happen. And they did. And they, and they got going. And so it was, it was, you know, we got to work with them on that and just, you know, all, all sorts of things about the community um, just aligned well with our philosophy and approach to doing things. And it's been, it's been great ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know a lot of um, different projects that are starting to use Cosmos versus like Ethereum or other blockchains as well. Is it, what is it about Cosmos that's easier? Is it just the scalability aspect? Is it more developer friendly? Um, is it cheaper? Like, is it like um, help you avoid using fees and stuff like that when, when building? Um, like, what's the main benefit? I know a lot of people are like starting to gravitate towards that and a few other things. Right. So there's the there's certainly the natural uh, uh, move over there. Proof of stake is fundamentally able to be cheaper than proof of work because it it doesn't require the same. Uh, uh, it's just a different economic model for how you provide the security. Um, it also has a different gas model, and so right now you know and and it's also you know less load right now realistically, and that 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 will change over time. But from our our perspective the important thing you know the, the reason we the reason why um we choose cosmos is that loose coupling right that the, the world is going to be a heterogeneous place where if you are doing non-custodial transfer of billions of dollars you want one level of security if you're trying to do microtransactions in a game you're a lot more concerned about response time now proof of stake provides adequate security and has a much, much faster block rate, much, much uh, faster assurance than ETH does right now. With ETH2, that will improve and change. And there's all sorts of awesome research ha happening, um, you know, in the world of Ethereum to improve in, in lots of different dimensions. But Cosmos already has a lot of that stuff and it works really well. We require finality. 
right? That's one of the key things that we require out of, out of, out of a consensus system. And that's not available with proof of work. Finality is, you know, is when I'm doing an economic exchange and, and, and in the blockchain, on one path of the world in Ethereum, it decides that I sent you money. And so in that very same path, you take the money and spend it. But on some other path, I didn't send the money. And so you don't have the money to spend. So you don't. Either one is consistent. And when it finally settles down to which one happened, financially, we're in a state that is that is expected based on our actions. But as soon as I interface to the outside world, as soon as I'm going to send you money, and so you're going to take medicine and put it on a truck and ship it out, if that unwinds and you don't get the money, well, the truck is gone, right? The medicine is shipped. You know, you don't, you can no longer claw that back, or you can't, you know, you you can't um, uh, uh, roll back the chain and have the physical world follow it. And so as soon as we start trying to interface to the real world, finality matters a lot. And there are ways to cope with that in these non-final systems. But, but, but it's just an expensive thing to try to deal with when you start to do smart contracts. When you're just doing financial stuff, it's fine. As soon as you start to do things where I'm going to make a decision based on this and act differently, well, now I've tipped my hand or now I've had external systems respond, but now I roll back or what have you. And that's just not the way to build large-scale you know, engineered systems. And so that's that. That's the reason why we need finality. Cosmos has a great uh, consensus uh, system that provides that, and so that that you know that combined with this overall aligned philosophy around loosely coupled systems really you know really led to that. So the reason I see a lot of people migrating to Cosmos, so there's certainly fees, but the other thing is it's now happening, right? You know, this year, the it's not just that you've got isolated Cosmos zones doing their own thing in isolation, which we had for a couple of years, and it was cool, and it was a useful library to build on and all that sort of thing. It's like, we finished IBC, we shipped IBC, we integrated into the hub, and now new zones launch not in a vacuum. They launch connected to the other things happening. And so that means that whereas, you know, six months ago, Terra was a Cosmos system over there and the, you know, Cosmos Hub was over there and, you know, Regen was over there and, and that sort of thing. Now, you know, in the decks on, you know, on the Cosmos Hub, the Terra tokens can appear in Osmosis. You know, both the Cosmos tokens and Osmosis tokens appear. And, you know, Thorchain, you know, chimes in with here's some Bitcoin and stuff like that. Right. So so that connected world is just a, a, a sea change in in what's possible. And so that's, you know, the second reason why people migrate there. There's sort of the, the simple reasons. And then there's the, you know, the future looks like this. Um, and people want to people want to get in on that. Yeah, I want to piggyback on something that you mentioned um, with you know, proof of stake and proof of works. You seem like a huge proponent of proof of stake, and I, yep. I agree with it wholeheartedly. You know, but as someone that has come from you know proof of work and that has ran mining farms and ASICs uh -huh. and GPU miners in the past, um, I'm curious your, your thoughts. Do you think that there's a future for the proof of work side of consensus in this industry, or do you think it's like a dying, um, <laughs> you know, dying consensus method? Right. So. Um... Uh, so my general answer is we need all these experiments to continue, right? The, 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 the outer market is orders of magnitude larger than what we're at now. And we're going to learn a lot as we get there and we need all the learnings we can. So that's part of the reason why we interoperate. We, we care about working with, you know, every project on the planet is, is, is all of them have some useful perspective. And, you know, some of this comes from having participated in large scale standards efforts that, that have a similar kind of, of, uh, of consideration of, of, you know, you have a committee with 60 people and there's, you know, 15 million developers, 
they're not all represented at the table, but every little whisper you can get in there, man, it really makes a difference. So I believe proof of work will, will, you know, I mean, will be here for a long time. Bitcoin will be this huge and growing pool of assets that, that provides a nice anchor point for all of us to lean on, to be able to, to, to have digital assets that, 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 that are, um, you know, strong and growing for a very long time. You know, Ethereum similarly, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how long Ethereum proof of work continues after Ethereum proof of stake, you know, uh, continues to grow. There remains, you know, some security properties you get out of proof of work that you just don't get any other way. And they're expensive as all get out. And we'll have to see whether 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 we uh, how long we want to continue those. But I don't see proof of work going from Bitcoin anytime, you know, anytime in no. the foreseeable future. No, as long as Bitcoin's be around, around as we'll, yeah, as long as Bitcoin's around, we'll have proof of work. Did you see those Bitcoin miners that were like steamrolled in like um, what was it like Malaysia or something or somewhere? No, tell out? me. There's a whole bunch of Bitcoin miners that were seized, and uh, um, they were steamrolling all the Bitcoin miners. I saw it on. Uh, social media there's a whole bunch of memes on twitter about it wow um, I, I don't remember where that was exactly but that's like right when the, the hash rate for bitcoin was dropping tremendously um and right. then I'll, you just see this video of <laughs> these people steamrolling all these bitcoin miners i'm like well that that doesn't look good that can't be <laughs> hopefully good they're steamrolling the machines and not the people of course but now i mean but one of the important things out of that you know this goes back to my point about that what blockchain brings to the party is multiple machines in different jurisdictions and different administrative domains coming to consensus and voting to agree on, you know, what happened. You know, the integrity comes from that event can happen and, you know, Bitcoin rolls on, right? And, um, uh, and, and you know, you get the, the, the disruptions in China and Bitcoin rolls on, right? You know, and, and you know, we've had validators go out on Luna or, you know, Terra or Cosmos or any of these things. And those chains go on because it didn't rely on one single point of failure. It didn't rely on 30 single points of failure. And that's just a whole new world. And that's that's the big thing that we're excited about is being able to, to run smart contracts in that kind of environment needs you no longer need to trust, you know, uh, uh, Airbnb, StubHub, Uber, Lyft, you know, Venmo, PayPal, eBay, all of those things. You can instead directly trust in some vetted battle-tested code, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one more big question for you. Um, yeah, so Gorik is, you know, the, the whole point is to help, you know, build, facilitate, and create all these, you know, dApps and for developers to do that, um, you know, through Cosmos, for DeFi. Is it primarily for DeFi or, you know, other things as well? Oh, so so the platform is definitely general, right? I mean, it's like okay. is 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 C sharp, you know, primarily for you know financial applications, sure. like no. But the product market fit is DeFi, and you know that so that's what's got got legs right now, and it has legs because it's a value to people, mm -hmm. and it is a place where the market pressure to innovate rapidly is very high, and the consequences of security holes is very high, and we address you know, we, we help address both of those, right? So the ability to compose things means you can put things together more rapidly, roll out new businesses more rapidly, extend existing systems, like, you know, take an AMM at a business that does stop loss or what have you. And it's, you know, 30 lines of JavaScript code. So it's both, you know, easier to security review, familiar to more people and the composition model and our smart contract framework provide lots of economic security for participants in this thing. So we directly mm -hmm. address several of the key um, 
the, the key issues that will make it easier to build faster and, you know, therefore earn faster. That's sort of, our, you'll, you'll hear me say that a lot, our mantra, right? Build fast, earn fast. Just building fast, no one cares. Great. You built a lovely sandcastle. I'll see you tomorrow, right? But we want to be able to get it out there, have it be a real business for real customers um, and, and, and let people actually be able to succeed at this stuff. Yeah, you don't want to just build fast either. I mean, you want to innovate. You want to create right. new things and break things as you go. I mean, or what's the point of building fast? Everyone's building the same right. sandcastle. Um, when I say build fast, of course, I mean, you. assuming you have an idea, you want to be able to execute on it quickly, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, let me ask you this. So like this this week, I was in Wynwood in Miami. And I was walking around in, in the night with some friends trying to go find sushi. And there's this huge, <laughs> um, you know, graffiti thing of of defi like in in the middle of the street and there's like all this like graffiti artwork and everything there's one that says um defi summer 2020 and there's these huge letters just i'm like that's cool i mean i didn't think you know crypto was that big in miami but i, I guess it is and then like every every third or fourth conversation someone's talking about bitcoin someone's talking about nfts someone's talking about defi um defi 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 and since defi is kind of relevant here i was curious you know, what's your opinion on the state of DeFi right now? Do you think there's going to be this DeFi summer 2021? It really hasn't. We're like halfway through July, a little more than halfway through July. Um, you know, do you think DeFi has like legroom to grow, not just in price, but, you know, keep growing as like a, this micro industry and blockchain and fintech over the next year? Or like, are there serious hurdles that go into that? Because finance is a very tricky field to break. Um, right. decentralized finance is going to be really interesting to watch. So I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on it thus far? So, um, you know, first off, yeah, I was in Miami for the Bitcoin Miami, uh, conference and, and having the stadium be renamed for a major DeFi, I just, that just, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> change to the world, you know, NFTs on, on Saturday night live and a stadium named for, named for a Dex, you know, that, that, that's just a, you know, the, the world is a different place. You know, people, People of all walks of life are now starting to go, oh, there's a thing there, right? And so that's that, you know, we're just beginning, you know, we're, we're barely seeing the long-term growing impact of that. No, I think we're very much at the beginning of DeFi. The, you know, the, 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 the constant product market, everyone was surprised by how amazingly awesome it's been. There's all sorts of dimensions to innovate. Um, you know, th there's, there's all sorts of dimensions to innovate in, um, uh, vaults in governance in in enhanced services in insurance um, and and so we're just barely at the beginning. The biggest concern I have and, the, the, and there are a couple right now on these systems. Most of these towers are really independent, right? You know this is this is you know like the '80s where everyone wrote their giant tower of C code and and they had to maintain it and sometimes they copy stuff from other people, but mostly you had your own tower of C++ code that was, you know, going to fall over soon. Wait, where's a, my, I guess, where's my camera? There we go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And, um, uh, and things didn't really get legs until you had the kinds of composability that, that, that we and other people uh, really care about. That's necessary. Having these silos, you know, we've got, we've got silos and then the ability to do contracts across them. That's really great. That's gotten us our, our, our current burst of stuff, but the next generation is going to be much more flexible and, and much more pluggable. And I think that's important, but you know, things like right now, 
you know, you have a vault. People are experimenting with how do they deal with, you know, with, with over collateralization issues and capital efficiency. So I've got, I've got a vault. I've got, you know, nominally $200 worth of, of ETH and I take a loan of stablecoin. We have a vault as an intrinsic part of our economy to be able to do, um, to have a local currency that, that make just sort of the grease to make the economy work. Right. And when the price falls, it's going to go liquidate that. Well, on Ethereum, that liquidation comes from the outside. Someone notices, hey, the price fell, you're underwater, you need to go liquidate, and then there's bidders outside and they come in. On asynchronous systems like ours, you know, the bank wakes up, the treasury wakes up and goes, oh, the price changed. I will go and automatically liquidate on the local AMM and I will rate limit it so that arbitrage can get in there and keep the price similar. Or I don't need to liquidate because I've got this other insurance arm. Now, this is not in, in what we've built, but it's a kind of direction of once you start adding more and more, more instruments that can all play together, instead of just having a vault that has to liquidate, it can have, in, it can have insurance to cover the debt. So, okay, the price only went by this much. You know, that guy, I paid a fee that he'll cover the volatility. I get to, I don't have to sell out. And if it falls by too much, okay, at that point I sell out. But now, We've added stability to the system by adding more interesting DeFi instruments that people can buy and sell and innovate on. When you start, when you then add to that, okay, that DeFi instrument, now I've got people that are aggregating across risks of, you know, vault liquidation versus, you know, slashing of stakers or, or, you know, derivative instruments on their staking income. And now I can take that derivative instrument and auction it off. And, you know, all they're just, you know, we're barely started here. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a very early part of the, you know, blockchain industry. It's been around since like, what, a year, year and a half ago, when it like, mm -hmm. actually, people started talking about it in any kind of way. Um, so it's very, very new. Um, it's mm -hmm. gonna be interesting to see how that shapes up and shakes up finance too, like what you're talking about with collateral, 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 um, oh, lending, well, collateral. <laughs> the other word. thing that's worth looking at is friction, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of what takes to innovate is reducing the friction of certain kinds of innovations. And so we have development friction, which I talked about, and you know, composability helps with that. But there's economic friction, having a, a stable coin that's sort of easy to use across a lot of contracts makes means that clients and customers don't have to, you know, compare, okay, it's 40 quatloos to buy it from that guy or 29 simoleons to buy it from that guy. Which one's better? Right? You know, I got to do currency conversion in my head. If I could price in the same, you remove some friction and then there's of course going to be regulatory friction which you which you hinted at and and you know navigating regulatory friction you know the innovation will both allow more interesting leverage you know uh, speculative things but there's a lot of that innovation that will reduce the risk there's a lot of that innovation that can really improve things one of the economists that work with us you know he did a paper about you know there's you hear about impermanent loss in AMMs where, mm -hmm. you know, if the price moves too much, you know, the, the, the people providing liquidity get burned unless the price moves back. Right. So it's impermanent because if the price moves back. You're fine. The problem is if you're doing price discovery and you don't know what it's going to settle at, you're taking a lot of losses. It moves. If you had a market in options to offset that, that, that slide in price now suddenly for some cost, they can protect themselves from impermanent loss. And now the combination of the two could be an instrument that is lower risk, lower return, but lower risk for a lot more people to be able to participate in and provide their liquidity into the system. And now suddenly liquidity is more available, safer to provide, safer to take and all those sorts of things because we added yet one more DeFi instrument into the pool and used it the right way. It's a big DeFi instrument. Um, you know, just DeFi in general is a big instrument. It threatens yeah. every single centralized 
financial organization, institution, or exchange, um, because it can do just about everything. I mean, you can you can launch a token that's you know backable or compared to any type of fiat currency or stock out there or company or represent mm-hmm. just about anything, even land, um, physical and hard assets. You can do instant swaps. It's a lot cheaper. The remittance yeah, is faster. Absolutely. It's safer. It's private. You still hold your funds mm-hmm. in a private wallet. Um, so it can work in countries there. that have poor regulatory regimes yeah. or, you know, you, you could be anywhere in the world, anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. You could have access to this stuff. Um, I, I'm curious to see how, government handles that different jurisdictions and then also how you know companies and institutions exchanges they advocate against it because it's obviously taking away a lot of their market share and in the future it'll continue to do that um, and it's a huge threat to their you know livelihood as entities um, just the whole centralized financial system i feel like is like gonna have an issue with that so it's gonna be fun to see how that shapes up in the future mm-hmm. um, but um yeah we're, we're gonna close up here on the podcast in just a second um, I don't know if you had a second thought on that. Well, I do. Um, all those reactions they had to the internet too, mm-hmm. right? You know, the 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 pushback by you know Morgan Stanley or not Morgan Stanley, but there was, you know um, some of the the brokerage firms about internet access to funds and oh my god, the world, you know, and the banks, oh my god, you know, and then you know my previous gig was the 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 payment instrument. You know, banks were still at the you can't possibly put banking stuff in AWS like, dude, it's seven percent of the Internet. You know, it's they know what they're doing. Right. Um, and, you know, and now banks use, you know, cloud services for, for their stuff. And so some of that is very familiar from previous technology things. Some of that we already see these financial institutions, these providers that, you know, out of one side of their mouth, they're talking about how horrible it is and they're going to push back and out the other side, they're going, but we're doing these experiments because there's actually a bunch of good stuff here. And so, you know, I think that we'll get, we'll get some mix and it will be, it will be, um, uh, it'll be a net win, you know, mostly, you know, a lot of them can successfully help us all decentralize. And that's what I'm really looking for. Yeah, I mean, there'll be companies like Google and Facebook that can definitely benefit from blockchain in so many different ways. And there's companies, though, that I worry about that I like, too, like Dropbox, for example. What's Dropbox going to do when its primary function is to be a cloud storage service and then you have Filecoin come along or something similar to that that could potentially at some point be much better than Dropbox? Well, goodbye, Dropbox. You don't really need it, right? Well, if I can do a shout out to another uh, Cosmos chain, Akash. Mm -hmm does um, uh, cloud services, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, decentralized cloud services can't possibly at a monetary level compete with with AWS, Azure, you know, um, Google Cloud, et cetera. What it does instead is if you're using one of those and you have, you know, you reserved enough capacity for the end of the month, you don't get to retire it or for the end of the day, but at 10 o'clock in the morning, it's not busy. They provide an avenue to be able to put that to use so you can leverage the investment you already have. Dropbox, people have large reserve pools of stuff. Sometimes they need it, sometimes they don't. You know, they might be able to have a a similar kind of thing. But it was interesting to see that an exactly analogous thing for cloud processor time, decentralization enables people to use their investment there. And so it's actually very complementary. And so that's a nice, you know, so it's nice to see the examples where, where, where the synergy is really good. Yeah, that's an interesting take. Yeah, I, I guess it'll depend. I'm sure a lot of these companies will try to leverage these services and blockchain and stuff like that as yep, much as yep. possible. I, I still worry about some of them, though, but we'll, we'll oh, see yeah, what happens, yeah. I guess. Um, anyways, um, you know, Dean, thanks for taking the time and everything to come out on the podcast and talk about Agoric and dive into these um, <laughs> many topics with me on you know 
DeFi and Cosmos and, um, you know, at just about everything we talked about. Um, and, and also, you know, how it works and Tendermint and I don't know, we covered a lot, huh? Your whole backstory. <laughs> um, yeah, before we wrap up, tell me where your community is at. Where should people go if they want to learn more about Agoric? Um, do you guys have like a Discord or a Telegram or a group chat somewhere or a, uh, a blog? So we certainly have. So go to agoric.com slash Discord. Um, that'll take you to our Discord channel. Uh, and as a developer, absolutely all of our stuff is available on GitHub as open source. So go dig into the development docs. Go dig into the developer site that uh, that uh, you saw pointers to earlier on. Um, so start at Agoric. Look at our Twitter. Uh, go to our Discord to communicate with the team. That'd be great. Perfect. Uh, yeah, Dean, stay, stay on for just a second. I want to try something out, but... Um, I, I will definitely be happy to have you on in the future and, you know, thanks for joining this time. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is great.